Please turn to the sixth chapter of Matthew, the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And I'm again reading in verse 19. I'll read all the way through the end of the chapter in a moment. So you will need to keep this uh, New Testament open there on your lap. The sixth chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 19. In Patrick Morgley's outstanding book, Man in the Mirror, he outlines what he calls the three theological perspectives on processions. He has what he calls poverty theology, prosperity theology, and stewardship theology. Poverty theology sees money as a negative, and in this view, um, possessions are looked on as a curse, and materialism in any and every farm is to be rejected. Prosperity theology sees money as a, as a blessing, and that to have a lot of things, material possessions, are evidence of a special relationship that one has with God. And this, in this philosophy or theology, takes materialism and baptizes it as a Christian virtue. Stewardship theology sees money as a gift from God to be used for God. And in this view, material things, possessions, can be either good or bad depending on how we use them. Poverty theology sees or focuses on the sacrifice that's demanded and ignores the promise that's given. Prosperity theology focuses on the promise made and ignores the sacrifice demanded. But stewardship theology takes both of these and brings them into proper balance. And Patrick Morley raises an issue that is vital to a Christian, a, an issue with which we struggle constantly, and that is, how do we relate to our possessions? And what is the proper relationship that man should have, a Christian should have, with the things that he possesses? Jesus speaks to that same issue in the Sermon on the Mount, and he reminds us that there are two temptations that we must guard against with regard to possessions. The temptation to avarice or greed, and the temptation of anxiety. Now with regard to the temptation of avarice, he says this, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
Your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now a definition of avarice or greed might be that a person puts too high a value upon possessions. It, it, it doesn't mean that possessions are not valuable and important. It means that a person puts a higher value on those possessions than they deserve. And Jesus suggests that there are three reasons why you should not put too high a value on possessions. The first is because if you are obsessed with possessions, it's a dangerous thing because possessions deceive. Possessions promise that they're going to be a permanent provider, but they're only temporary. And possessions can be destroyed by moth, corrupted by rust, and stolen by robbers. You must not put too high a value on them. Anthony Campola is a modern-day prophet who lashes out against the materialism of our time. And he explains to us how the tension between the physical and spiritual spheres of our life has been eroded. For more and more we are being told that our spiritual needs can be met by the right purchase of the right consumer good. And he says that there was a time when we had a choice between physical and spiritual needs, but those choices are being blurred constantly by, the, by, by our being told over and over again that every need that a person has, even his spiritual needs, can be satisfied by physical things. It's a dangerous thing this morning to place too high a value upon possessions because those possessions can evaporate with a changing economic system. And worldly fame is a dangerous God to serve because worldly fame is fleeting and fickle. Last year, the Washington Redskins won the Super Bowl. I mean, they were nine months ago, the Washington Redskins were the toast of our nation's capital. Last Sunday, they got booed off the field for having lost a game to the New York Giants. I mean, worldly fame and acceptance is fleeting. And to put one's security or base one's security upon his possessions is a dangerous thing to do because Jesus said this kind of a foundation is like building your house upon sand. We must not become obsessed with things because things deceive. Secondly, things distract. Now when Jesus made reference to the eye and light coming through the eye into the life, he was raising the issue of perspective. He was asking the question, what are your perspectives on life? That is, where do you place the focus of your life? 
And one of the dangerous things about possessions is that it has a tendency to distract us, to take away the primary focus of life, to take away the focus from what is most important to things that are less important. There's a parable about a ship being marooned on a desert, on a, on a tropical island, not Gilligan's Island, but one like that. And these people weren't too you know, upset or too frightened because they had some provision, they had some food, they knew they were going to be there a while. But they had bags of seed to plant, so they weren't too anxious. And so they got off their ship and they prepared for the time they were going to have to stay there. And they started digging holes to plant their seeds. And as they were digging into the sand of this island to plant seeds, they discovered some little gold slivers. It was obvious that this desert island was covered with gold. And so they began to dig and they began to hoard up this gold. The larger their gold supply became, the more diminished their food supply became. And as they built up this gold supply, they, their food supply was diminished. And one day they woke up to realize that they didn't have any food left and it was too late to plan it. Now Jesus is warning us of this danger. There's a danger in filling up your pockets with possessions, filling up your pockets with gold, because one day when it's too late, you may find your soul is empty. The dangerous thing about possessions is that it causes our eye to go from what is most important to that which is less important. It distracts. We must not become obsessed with possessions in the third place because possessions dominate. And so he says in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one, hate the other, or despise the one and cling to the other. And the implication is, and the context here is, is that possessions have a way of dominating us. Possessions have a way of controlling us. There was a wealthy landowner in Puritan New England who began to buy up land. And he'd buy up some land and, and, and make a little money and he'd buy up some more land. And finally somebody said to him one time, he said, how much land are you going to buy? How much land are you going to purchase? And the man said, only that land that adjoins mine. And so with his eye on an ever-widening circle, it became, he got to the place where he was totally dominated by the next purchase, by the next possession. It's something that happens all the time. We start out owning a house, and the house begins to own us. Spent all my time cleaning it, all my extra moments keeping the yard. And we start out owning a car or a boat, and it ain't long until the car or the boat owns me. So on Sunday morning, the boat says, head to the lake, big guy, and away I go. 
And these things called possessions quickly move from resources to be used to gods to be served. They dominate us. And Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil and some longing for it have wandered from the faith and are pierced through with many sorrows. And so Jesus warns against avarice and, and, and greed. And he warns against another temptation that is much more subtle and even more dangerous, and that's the temptation of anxiety. And about that he says, beginning in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not, are you not worth much more than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now if avarice is placing too high a value on possessions, anxiety is placing too much concern upon possessions. Avarice comes because there are so many things we want. Anxiety comes because there are so many things we need. Now Jesus said, don't fall into the temptation of tearing yourself to pieces with anxiety or worry. Don't do that for three reasons. One is because it's unnecessary. Now he points our concern, our anxiety, in three directions. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear. I need to remind us that Jesus is not forbidding forethought as if to say it's wrong to prepare for the future. That's not what he's talking about. We know that. I mean, even, even the birds plan for the future. They build nests. They incubate their eggs. They feed their, their babies. Even the plants 
send down roots into the soil to draw from it over a long period of time. It's not forethought that Jesus condemns. It's anxious thought. And the reason he condemns it is because it's unnecessary. And the reason it's unnecessary is because of the God we love and serve. This God loves us. He said, aren't you worth more than sparrows? This God knows us. He said in another place, not even the sparrow falls to the earth without the heavenly Father. I used to think that meant that God was looking down on the earth and he had his all-seeing eye, you know, focused on the earth. Every time I hear that, would hear that sing as a kid, I could just imagine God, you know, with one big old eye and an all-seeing eye looking over you. I used to think that what he was talking about is that God sees a sparrow when it falls. That's not what he said. He said that God attends the death of every sparrow. Your loved one passes away, dies. He's there in that, and he's with you in that. He knows, and he provides. He said, Solomon, in all of his glory, is not arrayed like one of these little field flowers. And one economist put a pencil to that and said that Solomon, in today's economy, it would have, he would have had an empire worth $87 billion, and he's not clothed, he hasn't the clothes to wear that is as glorious as these little field flowers. He'll provide for you. And Paul picks up on that idea when he says that God gave His Son, spared not His Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. How will He not with Him give us all things? And what He meant by that was that having made the ultimate provision in His Son, He'll make all the little provisions necessary to sustain that one great provision. And you have the Old Testament illustration of it in the book of Exodus. Having made the provision of man's redemption... God gave all the little provisions to sustain that provision. He sent down manna from heaven. He brought water out of a rock. He'll take care of you. It's not necessary for you to tear yourself to pieces with anxiety. Second, it's unworthy to do that. Now when he shows, when he makes the distinction between the pagan and the believer, the Christian... He's doing this. He's saying that the pagan tears himself to pieces with anxiety because to the pagan, his worth, the measure of his life is his possession. I mean, to the pagan, the way you measured a pagan's worth was by the possessions he had. So if he's worried about his lack or loss of things, it's just the result of his value system. I mean, my worth is determined by what I have. If I don't have it or if I lose it, I'm necessarily going to worry about that. My worth depends on it, not so the believer. For we're not here to accumulate things. We're here to glorify God. 
And our bottom line is not the possessions we have. Our bottom line is our relationship with God. And if I tear myself to pieces with anxiety and worry, then I'm giving testimony or witness to a value system that says that the most important thing in my life, my worth, is my possession. It is unworthy. Don't worry about things, he said, because to worry about things is unfruitful. It doesn't work. Now Jesus said, which one of you by anxiety can add one cubit? There are two ways to translate that, by the way. The way the New American Standard has it is, can by worry add one span to his life, add one day to his life. The other way to translate that is to add one inch to his stature. What he's saying is, how many of you, by worry, can add a day to your life? The older you get, true story, isn't it? You'll have to admit, the older you get, the more obituaries you read. I used to not look at the obituaries. That's one of the places I go first to see if I'm still alive for one reason, but to check out how many years I've got. <laughs> I mean... Come on now, fess up. You do that, don't you? 67, well, i got a few years left. You know, kind of... Uh, any of you ever do this? Kind of add them all together and divide and get an average? <laughs> yeah, I say about 60 is the average for this week. Hmm, six years, not by long. How many of you can add one day by work? Not a, none of us. And how many of you by worrying can add one inch to your frame, your height? Ray Summers reminds us that in Jesus' day, the Jew was an, he was an average five feet tall. He was five feet in height and average. And these Romans that ruled over him were these bulky guys, these brawny guys who were much taller and these Jews worried about the fact that they were not as tall as the Romans, always having to look up to them, and they saw themselves as people upon whom the Romans looked down. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't do any good for you to worry about your height. You're not going to gain one inch by doing that. It's not, it doesn't work to worry. It doesn't work, and it's counterproductive. Instead of that, instead of anxiety, instead of worrying, instead of placing too much concern upon possessions, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, and that phrase, these things, refers to the things necessary for a fulfilled life. You, you seek first the kingdom of God, and everything necessary to make your life rich and full will be added to you. You can trust Him. You remember when you were a kid, and maybe middle school, and the science teacher brought out one of those... Um, experiments and they got a piece of paper some of you probably have done that this year in science or you will get a piece of paper and you just scatter out some iron filings on that piece of paper and you put a magnet under it you remember that 
Did y'all have science in, <laughs> in middle school? You remember that, don't you? You may have played that, played around with that yourself. Get a piece of paper, put some iron filings on it, put a magnet underneath it, and a little bit of time that those iron filings begin to take the shape of that magnet and its force. And you have that magnet underneath that piece of paper and you can just move it around. Through it, 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 it's, that's the way it works. Those iron filings would just kind of move around with the magnet. It just took its shape and its force. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you just spread over me. You just allow me, my presence, my provision, my promises to be the undergirding fact of your life. You just allow me my presence, my provision, my promise to undergird your life and it won't be long until all your worries take my shape. And when you allow Jesus Christ, His kingdom, and His righteousness to be the predominant possession, the obsession of your life, and His presence and provision and promise... Underneath all you do, your worries begin to take His force and shape. There are two things this morning that every believer must avoid. He must avoid a greed that becomes obsessed with possessions. And he must avoid an anxiety that tears himself apart with worry. And the only way that will ever happen is that Jesus Christ be the center focus of your life and Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you filled with avarice? Is that your problem? Are you consumed with anxiety? Is that your need? The answer then is in our focus upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father, I pray this morning that there would be the will and the courage and the spirit that would have neither avarice nor anxiety as its obsession, but that the kingdom of God and His righteousness would be sought first. For I pray in the name of Christ and for His sake. I want to ask you to make an a response to this invitation this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Is there any reason why this morning you couldn't come and claim Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Receive His gift of eternal life and make a commitment to Him to be His follower. Would you do that in your heart? And down this aisle you come this morning publicly professing your faith in Christ. Perhaps you've done that in a private moment, in a private time, but you've never been baptized. He has no secret disciples. Come this morning to say, I want...
to publicly declare my faith and I want to be baptized as a demonstration of my trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. Perhaps you could come this morning to join this church, place your life here in fellowship, or to come today to make a commitment with regard to your possessions. It may involve tithing, it may not. It may just be to say, I want to commit to seeking first the kingdom of God and allow Him to add those things necessary for my life. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.